Appendix N Podcast, Episode 41, Adept's Gambit by Fritz Leiber. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we discuss the adventurous tales of the authors that appeared in Appendix N of the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide, meant to serve as inspirational reading for those who would master the dungeons of fantasy. Through the magic of a book, you can see through the eyes of another and wander strange realms while your body remains in a tiny room with spiders. Ew. For those of you listening at home, you are encouraged to read along with us and send us your comments. Listen to the, e- to the end of the episode for some of the stories we'll be discussing on future episodes and email your thoughts to thetomeshow at gmail.com. Before we, we begin, a word from our sponsor. Hey, it's me, Snark. I don't really like Noble Knights that much, but NobleKnight.com is okay by me. You know why? They got tons of products for me where I can just be hiding in dungeons and stuff like that. Also, it's it's really, really cool. I get to find all these bestiaries that I can fill my dungeon with and all kinds of goblin miniatures. So check out Noble Knight. They'll even buy old gaming products that you aren't using anymore, and they're awesome. NobleKnight.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you. And we're back. Okay. And, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Hi, Jeff. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And this is a bonus episode. Uh, we're just squeezing it into the month of March as we discuss uh, Adept's Gambit, a novella by Fritz Leiber featuring his famous duo, Fafred and the Grey Mauser. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting piece in terms of Fawford and the Grey Mouser and how it fits into the chronology. I think. Yeah, I quite I quite liked it. Um, Adept's Gambit was first published in the collection Knights Black Agents, published 1947 by Get This Jeff Arkham House. Yeah, it was one of a a spate of non Lovecraft authored books that August Derleth uh, published in an attempt to uh, turn a profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, incidentally, Knight's Black Agents is also now the name of a role-playing game by Kenneth Height. Since Ken has also called a role-playing game that he's written Trail of Cthulhu, I, I'm doubting that's a complete coincidence. Of course, the, the title uh, actually comes from Mac, Mac, Macbeth. I'm just hoping Ken puts out a game called The Outsider and Others. And uh, later, uh, Adept's Gambit was published in the Fawford and Grey Mouser collection, Swords in the Mist, published by Ace Books in 1968. Uh, I, I read the story in, in a heavily worn and dog-eared copy of Swords in the Mist that I purchased from a used bookstore through Amazon. Uh, and it has a helpful preface that uh, e- explains that not only have uh, Fawford and the Grey Mauser adventured in the world of Newan with its great empire of Lankmar, but that they've also uh, adventured in other worlds and other dimensions, including that strangest of worlds variously called Gaia, Midgard, Terra, and Earth. Which is the really the only explanation that 
Liber gives us for what the heck Fawford and the Grey Mauser are doing in Tyre? Tyre? Tyre, yeah. Tyre. In about a uh, little, little less than uh, 200 BC, to the Ptolemaic era. Right. And Alexander in, the Great is dead. Rome has not yet risen. And in the story itself, we, we can assume as it first appeared in Knights Black Agents, there's absolutely no explanation for how they got from Langmar to uh, Earth. And except for the very last page of the story, they don't even mention Lang Langmar. Uh, that's correct. And that's because when this story was originally written, Lankmar was just not a, uh, not much of a concept, uh, or Newon was certainly not a concept mm -hmm. in, uh, in Fritz, in, uh, it was, it was not a gleam in Fritz Leiber's eye. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I actually really enjoyed this story. Um, I, I, I didn't know what, uh, what, uh, Expect of it, but as as soon as as we got to Nin Nin Gobble, I was I was hooked. Oh yeah, he is a a great character, and but not not a character, not an archetype that you see very often in this kind of fantasy fiction. I think he is a crazy Doctor Strange type uh, wizard who is nevertheless you know friendly and helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of being a horrible monster or a madman or just you know possessed of an eldritch viewpoint which renders him incapable of treating other people like uh, intelligent human beings that he can have carry on a conversation with and here i'm I'm thinking in particular of uh, Shrewsbury from uh, house on Kerwin street Nin, specifically. Nin, Nin gobble brought brought to mind the the elephant alien from from tower of the of the of the of the elephant mm, i could see that mm -hmm. yeah so all right let's let's uh, let's begin at at the beginning this this uh story starts starts off I, I actually really really liked the the uh opening it was it was very douglas adams the the opening it was it was very very funny it, it starts off with uh, Fawford and the Grey Mauser are chilling in a in a tavern, uh, and they find that uh, when 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 Fawford kisses girls, they turn into pigs, and eventually when when the Mauser kisses uh, girls, they turn into snails. Indeed, yes. This is a a problem which at first is they find funny, uh, and then it doesn't go away, and it stops being funny. Yes. Um. And then, and then, so to 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 end the problem, they they seek out this Nin Nin Gobble character. Um, well, in in the tavern, we're in a, in a bit of foreshadowing. We're introduced to uh, Ahura, uh, who is not Whoopi Goldberg's character from Star Trek. That would uh, be Guinan. Which is not Nichelle Nichols played Uhura. Which is not Nichelle Nichols' character from 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 Star Trek, but. Uh, is a wholly uh, original character, is what I meant to say. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, and we're, we 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 get that something's weird with with her. She made a she made an amulet for her friend uh, Chloe, which Chloe doesn't really seem to appreciate all that much. Although uh, she does wear it. Yes. And it's efficacious against this magical curse that Fawford and the Grey Mouser are suffering under, because either of them can kiss Chloe and she doesn't turn into anything. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
I, I, I guess I guess we're 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 given to understand that uh, Chloe is a is a lady of the of the evening, and since since they are the since she is the only uh, lady that that they can uh, uh, couple with, she she profits quite quite nicely from this from this curse. The Grey Master in particular seems really resigned to the idea that apparently he's just going to have to marry Chloe now. <laughs> he's not exactly excited about it, but he's he's very resigned to the to the idea. Uh-huh. He's, so, uh huh. But it's Fawford who uh, who is not who, who is pushing for a solution. So they they seek out uh, this nin, nin Gobble character, and like even even before they they go to see him they're like you know the last time we saw this guy he asked us to go to the ends of of, of the earth and he uh might have sucked out our souls or something i don't really really remember but we we get the, the impression that this is not a guy that, that they really want to go see yeah and it's a uh the the tone is very fun and rollicking uh in a way that it stands in sharp contrast to a lot of what we've read up to this point, although not so much in sharp contrast to other Fawford and the Grey Mouser stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 get a lot of mention of the of the Elder Gods, like especially in relation to Ningobble, Nin but I I don't think they're the same as Lovecraft's uh, Elder Gods, even if Fritz Leiber meant them to be. The whole scene with Ningobble in the cave, uh, I felt could have been. Uh, animated by Terry Terry Gilliam and performed by the cast of Mo- Monty Python, the the dialogue was was that good. I don't know that I would I would go that far, but it definitely was it was it was a, a sort of a comedy of manners in a way that we we don't see so much in appendix n um and this this whole like first i would say the whole first half of adept's gambit um continuing on pat cuz uh, cuz nickel he gives them a whole series of tasks mm-hmm. and for a minute you think that the rest of the story is going to be them carrying out this ta- carrying out these tasks and fetching these various uh, reagents from where they're hidden in secret temples by evil guards and um, ru- uh, d- uh, dark ruins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then instead, there's a, just a couple of paragraphs of a sort of montage of Fawford and the Grey Mouser uh, going across Asia Minor and looting it of its magical mm-hmm. treasures, which is a lot of fun. And um, but, but what about the accursed swordsmen of, of Araman, father? There are twelve of them, twelve, father, and all very accursed and hard to to per- persuade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Terry Terry Gilliam was the one that that did all those animations for Monty Python, wasn't he? That that is correct. Yes. Okay, I, he was the one who did animations. I I was hoping I I didn't get that get that name name wrong, but yeah, I mean I like this 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 whole thing like could be filmed and turned into like some kind of miniature film thing. So they they set off to perform this ritual involving these reagents that they've gotten. Mm-hmm. Ahura shows up to accompany them. Um, she is also not getting turned into a pig or a snail at any point. Um, well, I don't, I don't think they try kissing her until, until the very end. That's well, that's true. That's true. They don't bring Chloe along. She's, uh, she's, uh, she's the, the woman who will come when ready, which I'm 
not quite sure I understand what that that means. Um, I I have I mean I have uh, an unexpected idea of what what that means, but I'm not sure what what that means in the context of this story. Yeah, they Fawford and the Grey Master banter back and forth a little bit about that. Um, with, with what seems to be kind of a, a dated joke about going to pick a girl up for a date, and even though she's ready to leave the house, she makes you sit downstairs and wait mm-hmm. for her um, as like some kind of power play. I guess is the the intention. It seems it seemed kind of dated to me. Yeah. Um, but they they tra- But anyway, getting back to the story, they travel cross country and they end up in where do they end up? Some kind of magic ruins. Uh, yeah, they're they're headed for this lost city of Araman, I think. Sure. But along along the way, Mauser becomes very suspicious of of Ahura, uh, 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 and begins to think that she might be a be a man. Which there's really no particular rationale uh, presented for. We're just told that he he suspects this. Um, and then he begins to suspect that the that Fawford has oh I don't even remember help me out Jeff uh, that that they they they're playing some some sort of uh, game where they're where they're vying for her uh, affections yeah the gray mouser thinks that Fawford is not acting in good faith in in some way. Um, but this is all kind of irrelevant because eventually they get to the uh, the magical ruins and they carry out their ritual. And then an evil wizard who appears to be like the fraternal male twin of Ahura shows up and uh, they, as I recall, fight and kill him. Uh, yeah, for, for some reason, uh, only Mauser fights him and, and Fawford stays out of it, although I, I, I wasn't quite clear on why. I think that Fawford failed his saving throw and was, uh, you know, like hold personed. Was the impression that I got uh, that that portion of it, as I recall, is told from the Mauser's point of view. So we don't really know exactly what was going on with Fawford, but yeah. I was under the impression he was ensorcelled in some way. So this 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 wizard pop pops out, and he's he's all dressed in silver and and black, and he's actually a fairly good swordsman for uh, a wizard. Uh, and his 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 skin is actually kind of sparkly, like like some kind of of stone. Yeah, and they fight, and the mouser thinks he's going to lose. Oh no! But then the mouser wins, uh, and that's great. And this is roughly the halfway point of the story, in as I recall, and it's also the point at which the story really abruptly stops being fun for me. There's uh, there's this there's this weird thing with uh, Fawford's laugh where like very very early on in the tavern it's it's hinted that Fawford's laugh has some kind of power, and like this this whole thing with the laugh keeps coming up again and and again and even at at the end of it I'm not quite sure what what the point is of of putting all this attention on on Fawford's laugh. Yeah, and the back half of the story is Ahura telling this very lengthy uh, sort of flashback, the story of her life and her and her brother, who is the, the dead wizard, um, and how they came to be in this situation um, while Fawford and the Grey Mouser and Uhura kind of go off in no particular direction and end up on the route to the, uh, to the brother's secret castle. Mm-hmm. 
um, where they fight the brother again and kill him again at the end. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed uh, 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 Ahura's back backstory. We, you know, we we'd been we'd been traveling with her for you know several several chapters, and this and this mystery about her was was building, and it, it was you know be, be be beginning to to appear like she was she was nothing more than than just another uh, beautiful beautiful uh, damsel, or perhaps a, a femme a femme fatale. We we you know one one of these these blanks slate uh women that that appear mm-hmm. in, in so many of these swords and sorceries stories and it, it turns out that no she's actually got a fairly rich and detailed uh backstory and she's uh in incredibly strong willed and she you know she she re- recounts her, her her life you know living with her evil psychic twin brother who's basically con- controlling her from from the time that they're that they're children, and it's not until she's an an adult that she basically figures this this out. Um, and even even though she's a helpless victim for for most of it, um, she it 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 seems like she ends up pulling pulling through pull, yeah, pulling through and winning her her own freedom by by force of will. Sure. <laughs> but i don't i mean this this story just was the the this whole section was just so different in tone from the the first part with the you know joking around wizards and the hilarious women getting turned into pigs and the uh, exciting sword fighting and mouser's angst and so on that i it just did my my interest in the adepts again but just just collapsed um at this point in a way that is kind of rare for me reading a story generally i feel pretty much the same way about it all the way through but here it just uh did not did not interest me at all huh well i mean i i didn't i didn't have that i didn't have that problem um i felt it was it was sort of like a like a maturing of the of the story like we we spent the first couple chapters just kind of kind of joke joking around and then we we reached these these ruins and we we suddenly realized well we're we are we are deep into serious territory and we're we're dealing with some weird cosmic magic juju here um and our our lives are in are in are in in danger, and it's 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 time to stop stop joking and 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 deal with it. No. Well, I mean, I I'm not gonna say that your impression is a is a bad impression. It's just not the not the impression I got. I mean, we 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 do get get the brief comic relief with the with the family on the way to the to to the mountain. Um, there's this there's this uh, family of farmers who are just kind of living in the wilderness between uh, the weird ruined city and the mountain where where the castle is and they they apparently know enough uh, of of the wizard's backstory to to get um, uh, Ahura talking mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. like to like start us off and and set set the stage and I I. I like how uh, Liber goes out of his way to, to, to tell us that the that the little girl was fine. 
there's a there's a little girl who like initially comes out and like uh Fawford scares her you know or 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 no uh uh Hura scares her and they're and they're worried that like her family's gonna like lock her up because they're suspicious of witches but he but Liber Liber makes sure sure to, to to tell us that that no she escaped that family and went on to become like rich and have adventures and everything was good. That that was a nice touch. I did like that bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and I liked I liked every time that uh, Ningaubel the the wizard uh, shows up and. I mean, first he appears in person, right? But then after that, he keeps sending them messages via bizarre magical channels. Yeah, we, we, we haven't even talked about what Nin, Nin Gobble looks like. He's this, he's this big, fat uh, thing, you know, all, all shrouded in a, in a cloak and a, and a hood, except that he's got like six or, or, se- or seven eyes that, that poke out on stalks from, from the from from the darkness of his of his hood, right? Which Fawford insists are surely paper mache. <laughs> which, like, which is is like <laughs> like the eyes is is what made made me think of the of the black beast of ah, which is what made me think that this scene should be should be animated by by Ter, 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 Terry Gilliam with uh, with uh, John John Cleese mm-hmm. voicing uh, Fawford and. Um, Somebody else voicing the. I don't actually know know the names of all the Monty Python guys. I'm sorry. Sure, not a problem. Not a problem. Um, Eric Idle. Let's let's say that Eric Idle plays uh, uh, Mauser in this one. You betcha. So yes, and so then throughout the rest of the story, like he keeps sending our heroes messages tied to like birds, and and once like he sends like an an, an actual uh, person. With like a note saying, I, I assume you're going you're going to die now. So this I, I sent sent this person to carry to carry back to me uh, all the magical uh, objects that, that I've I've had you uh, re- re- retrieve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those that that bit is cute. I like that. And then and then and then the kid just like steals their their uh, camel and makes off with like the rides away. Yeah. <laughs> you know the the cup and, and the and and the branch of the tree of life and whatever else they they had to get um yeah and so they they get to the to the there's 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 a brief bit about uh about an old man with with no with no beard and we we, we think that he's uh the evil wizard's mentor but it when we actually find him it turns out that he's just a head with like a lung attached Mm-hmm. And it turns out that uh, Anra, who is who is that that's the name of of Ahura's twin brother, has been the master all along, I guess. Yeah, he he turns out he wasn't dead. His previous death scene was a put on. Uh, it was all part of his master masterful scheme to lure Fawford and the Gray Mouser here, where Anra can can offer to. Um, Joined forces with them, and let's all sell our soul to Satan together, guys. Yeah, his his plan seems to be to impress Fawford and the Gray Mauser with his his power, so that he can make them his uh, uh, apprentices. Which is, I mean, it's it's very Star Wars. Um, yeah, that's well, that's that's true. That's yeah. True. 
Uh, and I mean that that seems to be what he was trying to do with with the man with with the old man with with no beard. He he was trying to get this guy to guy to teach him enough so that he could you know train. I guess do what what all wizards want to do, which is transcend this this reality and go wandering the plains. Which, yeah, which, you know, that's the outer plains. You know, yeah. have, have a good time in uh, the Bitopia and the Outlands and uh, yeah, I mean, pandemonium you, and such. When I when I think of like old school Dungeons and Dragons, like that that seems to be like what all the very high high level wizards wanted to do by the by the end of it. They just wanted to sit in their towers and you know leave leave the prime material plane but behind and and go search for. You know, epic epic levels elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I the p- part of the way uh, Anra made himself so so durable is he removed his own his own uh, organs, I guess, and he hid them in like this this green soup inside of his castle. And he is willing to teach Fawford and the Grey Mouser the same trick if uh, they just sign up with him. Yeah, and it it so like b- because his organs are in inside the castle, it makes his skin hard as stone, like the stone the castle's made of. Mm-hmm. I guess is is the like he's he's got some some weird powers, and he's he seems to be pretty darn powerful even as a as a as a child. Like he's a he's a scary scary dude. And if if Mauser hadn't found his like secret hidden uh, weak spot. You know, basically due to you know plot plot elephant, I guess mm-hmm. uh, they they might not have not have beat him. Well, I mean, the whole his his actual like plan or agenda is really kind of nonsensical. This is a very roundabout way to go about mm-hmm. um, recruiting Fawford and the Grey Mouser to put a curse on them so that women that they kiss turn into animals. Um, that's kind of peculiar. And then, you know, the whole seeming death thing and trusting that uh, Uhura would, would lead them to his secret castle in the mist. Um, it's, it just uh, seems kind of random. He, 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 he reminds me a lot of uh, Raceland. Like he could, he could almost be like, like a, like a, I, I could see that. I was kind of imagining Joe Bluth. I don't know who who Joe Joe Bluth is, but he's he's got the classic uh, shut in, you know he's a he's a shut in, you know sickly smart kid who apparently can't leave his his house because of because he's also under some kind of curse because of his his dad or something. Yeah, look at us, Michael, crying like a couple of schoolgirls. I I don't know what that is. Okay, fair enough. Moving on, moving on. I think I think at one point it's implied that his dad might have been the old man without a beard. I'm I'm not quite sure. You think I did not? I did not catch that. But admittedly, that that portion of the story, I was paying less attention at that point. I think the um, the story of how Adip's Gambit came to be published in Knights Black Agents is. Maybe more interesting than Adam's Gambit itself. Okay, tell us that story, Jeff. Okay, I would love to. (laughs) 
so um, Knights Black Agents was published in 1947 uh, by Augusta Derleth's Arkham House Press. Um, it, it was a repr- it was a collection of a bunch of Fawford and Gray Mouser stories that had previously been published, and also Adepts Gambit. Okay. Um, uh, like the, the ones we we previously read and and Adepts Gambit, which was which was previously unpublished and was kind of I think just thrown in to expand the uh, the length of the book a little bit. Right. It's it's about a a, a hundred pages. Yeah, and um, Adepts Gambit was actually the first Fawford and the Gray Mouser story that uh, Fritz Leiber wrote, and he wrote it not in 1947 but back in 1936. Interesting. Um, yeah, way way back, you know, eleven years earlier, it was never uh, published in uh, Weird Tales or uh, or what have you. Uh, but we know that it was written back then because uh, there's correspondence between H.P. Lovecraft and Fritz Lieber about it. Apparently, um, Fritz's wife contacted Lovecraft and um, on her husband's behalf. Mm-hmm. And they started corresponding, and Lovecraft read Adepts Gambit and gave him notes on it. Oh, that that explains why there why why there is references to elder gods. If if he was a fan of Lovecraft at you know particularly literally at the at the time. Yeah, that I mean the the elder gods that. Uh, that appear in the story don't seem to have a whole lot to do with Lovecraft's elder gods, but they, they certainly are a sharing the name. And mm-hmm. so it's a, it's definitely a deliberate reference. Yeah. I mean, th- I mean that, that certainly like explains the, the roughness and, and why they're on earth and not in, uh, Lankmar. Yeah. The, um, According to the I, the internet, I I tried to get a hold of the book in which the letters between Liber and Lovecraft have been published, uh, but I wasn't able to get a hold of it in time for this podcast. Uh, but I was able to read around online and read a few blog entries uh, about the topic, mm. and uh, so this is all secondary sources that I'm working from here. But apparently, Lovecraft had a whole lot to say about the Ptolemaic era and everything that Fritz Lieber was getting wrong about it or not paying close enough attention to. And he had a bibliography of about 40 books um, that Fritz Lieber really needed to read if he was going to write something set in this time and place, of which you know, about 12 were just straight up 100% mandatory, and the others he could... Um, he, he could just just reference as needed, um, and I, I think that Fritz Lieber's reaction to that was to create Nehuan. <laughs> that that explains a lot. That's that's actually very interesting. Yes, because I mean, there, there's really not a lot that's historical in this. I mean, he he references a lot of ancient cultures, but they they might as well be names of fictional countries in. Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons for for all that Liber goes into their you know culture and history. Yeah, there's there's one reference to um, a particular battle 
that has recently been fought that the that one of the cities that uh, Fawford and the Grey Master passed through is all a buzz with news of. Mm-hmm. And I looked this up, and it took it, the that particular battle took place in 197 BC, mm-hmm. uh, as near as I could tell. It's with Philip of Macedon. I'm and I'm, I'm surprised that he mentions King King uh, Ant. Antiochus, the the an antagonist of the of the of the Hanukkah story. I was not aware that there was a connection there. Uh, yeah, King. That's yes. Hanukkah is about the Maccabees versus the soldiers of King King and Antiochus Epiphanes. Cool. Um, did, is there any? Did you have anything to to add about that? I I know a little bit about the uh, story of Hanukkah. I knew that it was about Maccabees and versus somebody and that there was a, a miraculous, uh, mir- miraculously like refilling or sustaining uh, oil lamp. Uh, uh, sure, I can work the story of, of Hanukkah into this uh, podcast that we're recording in the middle of, of March. Um, I mean, I don't you can probably get more accurate information from Wikipedia, but well, okay. So I guess what I'm asking you, Jeff, is is there any like thematic connection between the story of Hanukkah and Adep's Gambit? No, he just he just mentions okay. King King and and Antiochus as a his, his historical figure, which he was okay. he, you know. just because he was an just because, probably just because he was a historical figure in this era. Yes, um, much like uh, Philip of Macedon. Yeah, I mean he he says three <laughs> three drunken soldiers of King Antioch Antiochus and uh, four four women with them were uh, uh, among the people who were who were talking about the, the whole thing with the with the girls turning it into pigs. Right. The, so right. <clears throat> so the hearing that Lovecraft's response to this was you know, to really nitpick all of the details that Lieber was getting wrong about the setting kind of reminds me that Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard were uh, very regular correspondents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Robert E. Howard wrote story. All the Conan stories are set in basically the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's this era that's several thousand years before, um, well, before the Ptolemaic era, which just happens to have a um, political situation and a bunch of nations and and so forth that all all match pretty much one to one with um, with historical nations the uh, the fictional nations of the historical nations and i'm wondering if robert e howard originally wrote stories about conan in uh in the actual classical world and lovecraft was like well you know there's this, you got this wrong you got this wrong you got this wrong you need to read these 50 books and robert e howard was like okay no it was set in the hyporian era just, you know, <laughs> thousands of years earlier and i'm just going to change all of the references to egypt to stygia so, there we go yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, love. I mean, that I, I, that that seems very, very, very Lovecraft to be a to be a a, a joy kill. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I mean, definitely. Uh, Howard, Howard was was way more interested in in history than it, it seems. Uh, Liber Liber was. I mean, he he wrote. His, I, I, I wish we had Peter Peter Foxhoven here, but I, I know 
uh, Howard read a lot of history and, 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 and wanted to write stories set in uh, his historical context. But it appears Lybird really just wanted to have a, a good time and sell, sell books. Which is, isn't that really the more the Dungeons and Dragonsy uh, kind of kind of way to look at it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I when I think of like the typical you know nerd in the in the in the seventies, they're they're probably going to be sci sci fi nerds. You know, Star Trek was was popular at that at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, they they'd be more interested in science than history. <coughs> Yeah. Well, that was also the it was also the era of like the um, the first big like Lord of the Rings boom uh, with all of the hippies and the pipeweed. Oh, that's that's true. That's true. And so. I, the Cimmerillion was the Cimmerillion, as I recall, is not on the official Appendix N list. Right. But it did finally appear in print. In '77, which is a couple of years before the Dungeon Master's Guide mm-hmm. was written, so hmm, I forget where I'm going with that. I, I I guess you were trying to make a case that that there were history nerds and ancient warfare nerds mingling so, okay. with the with the sci-fi and actual science nerds of 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 the time. Right, so you have you you can classify your nerds into different categories based on the thing that they're nerdy about, right? You have mm-hmm. nerds who complain that ringmail never really existed, but they're a separate clade than the nerds who complain that Larry Niven's Ringworld would be gravitationally unstable, <laughs> and they're they're a separate clade entirely from the ones who get really into Star Wars and the Force. And space magic, mm-hmm. and um, the the Vulcan powers, and uh, and so forth. So you have different different ways you can categorize. And I I think that wh- this is where I'm going with this. If Lovecraft and Lieber were among those among the sci-fi fantasy fandom of the 1970s, they would be in different groups. That's what I'm saying. And and yet and yet they could still sit down and play Dungeons and Dragons together, right? Because Dungeons and Dragons is uh, you know it is what you make of it. Exactly, I think that's that, folks, is the moral of of the story. It's the moral of Appendix N, really. Uh, uh, is there anything further that you want to say about uh, Adept's Gambit? So it's. I feel like I've been a little bit hard on it. The first half of it really is a lot of fun. It's just that I, I completely hit a wall at the uh, at the point where Adhura is telling her life story, and I realize that she's actually going to tell her entire life story. I'll 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 say it again. The the first chapter is straight out of Douglas Adams. The the second chapter could be animated by uh, Monty Python or. Uh, would make a great short film by, um, who's the Spanish guy who did Pan's Labyrinth? Del Toro? Yes. Would, would make a great short film by Del, Del Toro. Um, and, you know, the the final half of it probably, probably inspired a ton of metal, metal albums. 
because they're 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 wandering through weird architecture and there's weird creatures. Actually, you know what? I I googled uh, Nin Gobble, and I found that there's a lovely young woman in uh, England who has named herself uh, Emily Nin Nin uh, Gobble, and she is the drummer for several uh, met met. For several metal bands, um, including I think Arkham Arkham Witch. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, if she's listening, maybe she'd like to be on 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 the podcast. And Guillermo del Toro, if you want to come on and talk about how you uh, were unable to make At the Mountains of Madness into a movie, uh, we would love to talk about that too. <laughs> sure. While we're while we're wishing. We we just we don't know what the who we don't know who the listener is, right? <laughs> Maybe it's Nin Nin Gobble. Maybe the gossiper of the gods. <laughs> all right. Um, I think uh, I think that's uh, all the time that we have here on the Appendix N podcast. Yeah, I got a lasagna in the oven. I need to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jeff. Jeffwick dot com is is still is still up. It still exists, even even though you're you're plagued with uh, internet uh, troubles. Well, we don't we don't know who it is that's plagued with internet troubles. Somebody is. Um, we'll, we'll we'll just we'll have to figure this out in the future. Um, maybe maybe we'll get uh, Nin Nin Gobble to uh, to to send uh, messages back and forth. Perhaps so. Perhaps so. His various uh, non traditional means of communication may succeed where others fail. Listeners, you can find me in a cave sitting next to a pile of pot shards, or you can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Wynn. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-D as in dog, W-I-N-N. And I'm also on Instagram with the same handle. You can email me by emailing thetomeshow at gmail.com. Make sure to put Appendix N in the subject line. If you are hunting for old books to bring back to your mysterious otherworldly patron, your first stop should be your local used bookstore. But if you can't find what you're looking for there, be sure to use the Amazon affiliate link on our website, thetomeshow.com, when you shop on Amazon.com. The Tome Show gets a few pennies to pay the bills, and we sure do appreciate it. Later this month, we will feature another duo, not adventurers, but authors. L. Sprague de Camp and Fletcher Pratt and their novel titled The Carnelian Cube. In May, we will be reading and talking about What Mad Universe, a novel by Frederick Brown. And finally, this summer, we will start to delve into the Dying Earth stories by Jack Vance. Hope you'll join us for some fun discussions and send us your comments. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 41, Adept's Gambit by Fritz Leiber. Thanks for listening.